watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have three movies. American Made, Victoria and Abdul, and Unrest. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale. With Binge being our highest rating, Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. That mess. That mess. Mm. That mess. <laughs> um, uh, how's it going, Jason? What's, uh, what's new in the world of you? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, the answer in my current world of me is that I'm a little drunk. I could tell. I could tell. Mm-hmm. Get that hand off if my knee. If you heard some light slurring, sorry, I mistoke the fuzz. I thought it was mine. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and by light slurring, you mean gentle slurs. Yes, if it's just my light, gentle slurs. Um, guys, I have just come from a very long uh, work day. We had um, sort of like one of those day-long... It wasn't really a retreat. It was just sort of like a day-long meeting. Oh, like a strategy session? Kind of. Where like, But it's just like your team just goes off for a day. We do it like, I don't know, like quarterly or so. Mm-hmm. And so we had like... A five solid hour meeting, five and a half or so. And then we went off to have our team fun, which was... Another meeting. Mini golf at Urban Putt in the Mission. That place is that place is genius. <laughs> it really, it's a, kind of. It's, it's like my an first... indoor mini putt-putt course that yeah, has like... very elaborate, mm-hmm. very, interest, very interesting sort of design on the different holes. And I can't imagine that... Any team in any one of the tech companies in the city has not gone there. It was our first time. It's and just constantly, it's just a revolving door. They must be raking in so much money. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I had first heard of it whenever it was on a reality show I watched called Man's Ode with Children, which is a spinoff of The Real Housewives of New Jersey, oh, Okay. Uh, in which the Manzo family visited a friend of theirs who was living here at the time, and he took them there. And I was like, what the fuck is that place? I've never even heard of that. And Scott was like, oh. It used oh, to be a funeral home. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I would think Beth Dean would have told me that. Mm. Um, and uh, he's like, oh, that's Urban Putt. That's in the mission. We should go. It looks fun. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to go ahead. No way. And, like voluntarily? Um, yeah, no thanks. Um, and uh, and now I've gone. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was I, I, will, I will say that it did trigger one of sort of one of my great uh, uh, athletics related uh, fears, which is being that person who takes so long to mm. finish that like your piece of the of the puzzle this is that, to do with golf that everyone's piling up behind you like <laughs> waiting for you to finish uh you know which i feel Speaking like speaking of arrows which i passed and, and, <laughs> <laughs> the sex maze <laughs> we'll get to that later what? that's what's up with that, me that's why we're getting a late start tonight because I take you a know, quick detour to the sex yeah maze. putt putt just get, gets me there and <laughs> Um, you know, uh, you know, so yeah, so I definitely was that person toward the beginning where like I was putting last and then I was like, you know, having a lot of stroke time, (laughs) hashtag arrows. And, uh, and I saw like there were, it was when, when I arrived there with my friend who I drove over there with, uh, there was like a whole bum rush of like bros and business attire that went running in there literally seconds before we got in. It's such that kind of place. Oh, yeah. Um, which is appalling, um, but which is, I guess, just a fact of, of reality now on the mission. 
And uh, yeah, I think it's also one of those things where when you when you're in that spot and you're not you're not doing it and you're stuck and everyone's mm. waiting for you, it's extra frustrating because it's not actually any sort of athletic skill. No, right? It's, it's not. like such a nonsense skill that like to right. be good at it, it is ridiculous. I feel like and to be bad at it is like just normal. It's basically like like ground pool. It's like playing pool, mm. but with like a mm-hmm. long racket that you just swing against the ground. Mm-hmm. Because you're just like, okay, here's my little, here's my ball, there's the hole, and I'm going, I'm aiming for that. Uh, right. Or I'm trying to ricochet off some shit. Yeah, it's like, it's like turf pool. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's, and, you know, it's a skill, but it's not a sport. It reminds me of like certain board games. Like, if, if you want to play Trivial Pursuit, I'm down. You want to play Taboo, I'm down. Because mm. I feel like if you're winning, you're losing, there's a skill that you're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. But when it's like, like half a game of chance, I don't, what's the point? Yeah, no, it's hard you're to say. You're losing what the point and you is. didn't even like put in, uh, you didn't even do anything in particular that, that yeah. made you win or lose. I yeah, know. no, I mean, it's hard to find the redeeming value in it. Mm-hmm. That said, you had fun. Well, yeah, I mean, our team has grown a lot recently, so there were far too many of us to be on, like, any just one team, so we were just broken apart, and it was that funny thing where you were just, like, hearing and passing people saying, like, with no humor intended, things like, oh, it's really hard getting this thing into this hole, mm. and and so you just enjoy a, a light chuckle to yourself and, and just keep it moving, but, uh, but then afterward, we did have drinks, and then we had dinner with drinks, and that went on a lot later than I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 a, a good time ultimately was had, despite you know all the things that were triggered in me uh, mm-hmm. from you know from my upbringing of of deep fear and paranoia uh, and dread around all things athletic and organized. Have you ever uh, excelled at a at an athletic feat? I'm okay at swimming. Okay. Um, but I've never done it like competitively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did um, for a very brief moment in elementary school. I wrestled. Oh N- no! It was not because of that. It was I was <laughs> I was too young. Um, but no, it was literally because I came home from school with a flyer they'd given us. Like, oh, there's like wrestling tryouts, and they were like, "Give this to your parents and and let them know you know if you're interested in doing it." So I like showed it to my mom, and she's like, "Well, do you want to wrestle?" And I'm like, um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I hate. And she's like, well, do you or don't you? And I was like, uh, I guess I do. Uh, because I just had this weird, like, I felt so guilty saying no and having her throw this piece of paper away. And so. Always an environmentalist. Always. And so I wrestled because of, because of the environment. Um, you wrestled for the next 15 years with a and, lot of other things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, after the five minutes that I spent wrestling professionally. Did you win? I, I mean, I won in the fact that I did not be, stay a wrestler because mm-hmm. let's be real, we made fun of those guys. Sure, absolutely. Not for you, not even for gay things. Just because I don't know about your school, but my school, the guys who wrestled were kind of trash. Hmm. Uh, no, no, I went to Catholic school, so everyone was kind of the same. The same trash. Yeah. So there was no like hierarchy in your high school. This explains why you don't like teenage movies. You just don't get it. <laughs> you went to a place where everyone was equal. That's nothing to do with any other teenage experience. It was bizarrely not like clicky or yeah or That's hierarchical. It was so weird. weird. It is kind of weird in retrospect. Like honestly, the biggest bully at the school you. was me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, now that I can see, it's definitely like that Liz Lemon thing where I'm mm-hmm. like, Darcy right, was like, like, "How's your mom's pill problem?" <laughs> yeah, <Right>. exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey, Darcy, I think I think the only person to have made so many high school cry was me. Mm-hmm. So it was great. I really look forward to you seeing Lady Bird since it does oh, take good. place at a Catholic high school. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. 
<laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no, it was wrestling. And then for a brief, uh, late in elementary school, I played basketball. I don't remember what the origin was of that. Because you're a tall, tall fella. Maybe mm-hmm. we had a basketball hoop at my home as well. And I mm. and I you know used to play horse. It can be fun. But anyway, so um so all that came came flooding back to me tonight, and then I drowned it in booze. And now here I am, Rebecca. What is up with you? Um, you know, not too much. Um, what is up with me? I had. Um, what you would call a um, very interesting, very interesting weekend last weekend. I would call it that. <laughs> um, where I thought I was going to dinner with a friend, and it turns out that I was going to dinner with somebody um, that wasn't that person because I had the wrong number saved in my phone. And the what? weird. Wait, walk that back. Yeah. Okay. So, so you save someone's number in your phone under a name that was not their own. Right. And then I thought I was making dinner plans with that friend and I get, I'm like about to get there and then someone texts me from a different number and they're like, hey, you know, is this place good and uh, for dinner? And I was like, haha, yes, but we're going to here, right? Like, aren't you, aren't you on your way? Like, we already made plans. This has been like days in the works. Um, and this person has, has never texted me before. <laughs> And I'm on my way and I'm and I'm like, wait a minute. And and, and so um, this is my friend Andy and she's like, um, uh, no, I mean, I can't I can get some food if you want. Like I'm in Chinatown. Like, let's, let's hang out. And I'm like, no, like, no, we were going. I'm on my way to meet you like right now. Um, so it turns out that's not what happened. Uh, it ended up being a really fun. It, it ended up being everyone. Did all three parties involved laugh at the end of the night? You know, I thought it was, I was just in such a, a I was just in such a state of disbelief that I thought it was just, um, I don't, not, not hilarious, but like, I don't know, just unreal. Um, and, um, I think, I think by the end of the night, everyone, everyone was on board with how <laughs> funny it was. Spent. Well, who can say, who can say? <laughs> took some time for you to get everyone there but yeah you, you know i did you my put, best you put in the time i really like um to explain the humor try to the bridge the gap between all the awkward moments that i had created um with my Sweet own idiocy Jesus. Um, so, so i'm you... still kind of reeling from that i just feel yeah. like i mean i'm like tapped into this weird did plane you, did you feel like the universe was gaslighting you i felt like the universe well yes i always feel like the universe mm-hmm. is gaslighting me mm-hmm. it's a baseline state um which explains a lot but i felt like the universe was telling me um man you you're an asshole <laughs> <laughs> and has this made you paranoid that there are other numbers in your phone saved under the wrong name no no i don't think that's the case um unless i'm <laughs> hubris hubris is what i hear in that statement because you're like well i just spent the last 15 minutes changing all the numbers in your phone so good luck i'm like mom happy birthday and then it's like you exactly laughing at me. we need material for future episodes <laughs> so take it where we can get it content creation is what that is yeah that is what it is mm-hmm. um speaking of content we have some uh some movies we do to watch um that we watch that we should talk about uh-huh and the first one is um coincidentally the only uh, thought that goes through your mind when you're going shopping is this american made damn straight barry seal a twa pilot is recruited by the cia to provide reconnaissance on the burgeoning communist threat in Central America, and soon finds himself in charge of one of the biggest covert CIA operations in the history of the United States. The operation spawns the birth of the Medellin cartel and almost brings down the Reagan White House. Top of your class in the Civil Air Patrol, a pilot like you shouldn't be flying buses. Welcome to Miami. Welcome to Bakersfield. Haven't you ever wanted something more, Barry? You should be serving your country. Your CIA. <sighs> We need you to deliver stuff for us. 
Oh, this is legal if you're doing it for the good guys. What a wild ride. Truly. Um, it's a wild story. So a this true story. Seems like it's um, it's not dissimilar from other of these sort of like tales that are larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of historical. I guess, and it's probably the wrong word. But, um, yeah, no. It's movies like Blow, Blow, The Wolf of Wall, Wall Street, Street, most recently War Dogs. Yep. Where it's like, um, you know, ne'er-do-well, mm-hmm. um, kind of maybe down on his luck right. guy gets this like incredible opportunity and uses his like wit to... <sighs> turn into like uh basically a drug king yeah um have we seen this already does do we need to watch this one i think we do actually um because what what's unique about barry seal's story uh is he sort of forced gumps his way through a series of very like major major figures uh that he had a wild contact with and he was basically betraying all of them and only ever looking out for his own interests at the end of the day so when you say Forrest Gump, you mean like in the way that he has just, he happened into people's lives, not that he failed up forever. Well, no, he did kind of, like Barry is not, he was not, he's not portraying this film as any kind of genius. So it's not the kind of thing mm-hmm. where like, oh, he was so brilliant. He had basically a combination of like, just kind of, he was dumb and he had huge balls and those things combined um, meant that he just kind of took a bunch of risks and the way that Tom Cruise plays him, he was never scared really about taking these risks. He just kind of had this baseline confidence um, from a sort of a daredevil, uh, you know, nothing to lose kind of attitude, despite the fact that he did have things to lose. Um, there are pieces of the performance that you might think like, okay, Tom Cruise, like there's a lot of Tom Cruise in this, um, even though by and large, it's not like a Tom Cruise movie. This is mm. his um, second collaboration with the director, Doug Lyman, with mm-hmm. whom he previously made Edge of Tomorrow. And they're good collaborators because this and Edge of Tomorrow are Tom Cruise's two best movies outside the Mission Impossible series in like the last like 10, 15 years. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, you know, so he is, he, you know, so he starts off as just this, this pilot on the make. He is quietly uh, 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 smuggling Cuban cigars mm. uh, while he's flying all these, you know, routes around the world for TWA, which was an acronym I had not heard in a while. Right? <laughs> that took me back immediately. Mm-hmm. TBT on that one. And um, and then, uh, you know, the Medellin cartel uh, just notices him and then they pull him in and ask him to start working with them to, uh, to basically smuggle, you know, these giant kilos of coke. And then to drop them out of the bottom of a private plane into the swamp in Louisiana. Uh, and then, so he's doing that for them. Oh, swamp cook. And then... <laughs> oh, swamp cook. That seems like the, the worst, worst place to dump it. It's all moist and... Well, but it's all bundled up. I mean, it's um, not like, yeah, it's not like in like... Loose. <laughs> yeah, it's not <laughs> loose cocaine. He's not like literally just like to powder flying out of the plane into like alligator mouths that are getting all, all that chatty. That explains a lot about Florida. About like, It does. Uh, from the ruptured packages. Yes, that actually probably does. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but then the CIA uh, hears about him um, through law enforcement that are uh, picking up on his activity in like dropping all these drugs off in Louisiana. (laughs) And they're like, hey, we want to use you too. So he's like, oh, I'm busted. But they're like, oh, actually, no, we want to use you. And this is where it gets really interesting in terms of politics because, you know, it's very much set against the backdrop of the Cold War. Mm. And it's about the way that like various Latin American countries became pawns in Mm. the fight between the U.S. and Russia. Mm -hmm. And in particular, Nicaragua. Mm. and uh, how, you know, the Russians were backing the Sandinistas, which mm-hmm. were communist, and then the U.S. was trying to prop up this whole Contra thing. Um, mm. And uh, and so the U.S. is like, okay, Barry, we want you to arm the Contras. 
And so they're like loading him up with guns to fly his little plane into Nicaragua and give to all these guys who couldn't be less interested. Man, isn't it great we don't do that anymore? It really is. I feel like we've come a long way. Uh, and uh, mm. so, and and and, and so, so he what he forced comes his way through it, just kind of, just through his sheer sort of um, obliviousness, he winds up working directly with Manuel Noriega, with um, Escobar, with Oliver North, of course. Uh, you know, it really, uh, you know, it makes Barry very much sort of a Trump era protagonist because sure, yeah. he has no loyalty to anyone other than whoever's buttering his bread at the moment or whoever is mm. giving him what he wants at the time. Um, you know, because, I mean, in that way is, of course, a perfect Reagan era uh, mm-hmm. uh, protagonist. Mm-hmm. He is someone who came out of the Carter era. Uh, the story begins when Carter is president. And then he has his sort of halcyon days during the Reagan presidency. And, uh, you know, in the same way this film was in development during the Obama years. And now it's hitting during the Trump years. And It's uh, not fun anymore. And now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but there's this part of me that just, like, deflated a bit when, when you've mentioned that he was, like, he was dumb, but he had, like, you know, a lot of guts. I just feel like, oh, cool, dude, that just, you know, people so many people try so hard in the world to do something and like mm-hmm. some people just um well, you have the advantage of getting whatever by just being well um, to be clear things don't work out for him in the end uh, oh good so <laughs> so this is not this is not like a barry's a badass type mm. story oh okay that's yeah. actually a very interesting yeah because the, the other ones we talked about you know wolf of wall street and mm-hmm. um well, still I mean, has that like they always have a fall i mean these movies always yeah. have falls but i mean barry's has a pretty final ending mm. uh so uh yeah so it's definitely not like oh he's so cool everyone's just aspire hero. to be like yeah. you know. okay okay yeah, that no, definitely changes things a bit does not prop him up to be a hero at all i mean like he we see the toll this takes on his family um his <laughs> tom cruise is at as has been at a for a while i would say for probably over 10 years at a point in his career where you cannot get like another name actress to work with him as like a female lead mm. the last time it happened even close was emily blunt edge of tomorrow mm-hmm. he always has some nothing actress playing opposite him and well they need to find someone who's like five foot one there is that which is a challenge um and in this movie that nothing actress is named sarah wright uh who is best known to me as millicent gergich on parks and recreation um, and also for just popping up as like the 18th person on the call sheet in a variety of romantic comedies over mm. the last 10 years. And uh, so it's just this weird thing. It takes me, it, it reminds me of like the studio system days. Yeah, whenever yeah. you would have like these star vehicles where like you couldn't have even the tiniest of threat mm-hmm. to the main star of the film. Um, even though this film does have some other like very legit actors in it. Namely, it has both Caleb Landry Jones from Get Out mm. and Jesse Plemons. Uh, from like Fargo and other in Friday Night Lights, who really look like two halves of the same inbred coin. <laughs> uh, so you know, so they're in it. Uh, you know, we have some some quality actors that pop up here and there, but definitely no one um, close to taking down Tommy Girl, and uh, in particular his leading lady, although she's plenty plucky. I will say that for Sarah Wright. Uh, so you know, this is it's a vehicle for Tom Cruise. He has a southern accent that comes and goes. Mm. Uh, and this is the youngest he's looked in a long time. Really? It's, it's troubling. It's troubling. Because when they first showed him, I literally thought they were doing that thing where they were like Bending digitally. Yeah. yeah, I thought they were like digitally de-aging him. 
Um, but no, he looks like that the entire movie. Really? Uh, Wait, where did, did they just do that to him? Or was that another? Never mind. Are we thinking Johnny Depp? Oh, and, yeah, yeah. They did that to Johnny Depp. Caribbean. That was so weird. So unsettling. Uncanny Valley. Uh, <laughs> but it's a real person. But it's a real person. Uh, so, but yeah, no, I mean, this is, it's a wild fucking story. Uh, it's very much a story of its time. It's a story that has sort of like new resonance today. It's mm-hmm. a story, I think any time that there's a story that pulls back, um, you know, the layers of the ways that, you know, Latin American countries are used as just co- capital and collateral and pawns in these battles between like the empires or whatever. Right. I mean, it, ha- it happens in the Middle East. It happens, yeah. uh, you know. Because ultimately that's what happened with the Contras that mm-hmm. would led to Iran-Contra, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which uh, it turns out uh, Doug Lyman, uh, would, so this, the screenplay was on the blacklist. Of, uh, of like mm. best unproduced screenplays. Mm-hmm. And then Doug Lyman was reading it, not knowing that it became about the Contra situation. It turns out that Doug Lyman's father was the head investigator for Iran-Contra. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah, so that, cool. that was another piece of it that, that really drew him to this material. And, you know, he sort of has an insider flair for how these conversations kind of went down behind closed doors. Hmm. Yeah. Well, sounds kind of interesting. What are you giving this one? I'm, you know, I'm going to give it a Consume Plus. Oh. This is a Consume Plus. I was very pleasantly is this an surprised. airplane movie? I think on an airplane, it would probably be great. Uh, I think that it's, you know, it's very slick. It's very entertaining. It's engrossing. It has some pacing issues in the third act. Um, but by and large, it's just, it's just one of those things where as a true story, you know, mildly embellished, but mainly true story, it is just fucking wild. Hmm. I mean, because, you know, the Forrest Gump, Zelig were not true stories. How are Colombians portrayed in this movie? Um, you know, there's not a lot of uh development of character. I mean, like you you do see his relationship with uh, you know, with the members of the cartel and they are not depicted as like bloodthirsty criminals or anything. They're mm-hmm. depicted as like sort of just guys who were in business. And um, and are kind of you know you see like him reacting with like great white panic at situations that they're very like chill in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and you see there you know that they are enormous they feel enormous betrayal uh, from him uh, later on in the story. Uh, so you know so I would say it doesn't you're not like yeah kill them they're like it doesn't they don't show them doing those villainy things where mm-hmm. they just like go and pop and just fucking shoot someone in the head just right, right, know, right. they don't show them they they show them being very much just like these sort of like laid back guys they do show over the progression of the story the rise of Escobar. And his the paranoia that he started mm. to feel with the more power that he got, but I would say that you know it's 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 not super developed, but it's also I wouldn't say beyond the fact of beyond the the reality of the fact that they were a cartel, uh, it doesn't make them seem like you know one dimensional villains or anything like that. Excellent. Yeah, American Made is rated R for language throughout and some sexuality and nudity, which brings us to our second movie of the week, which is Victoria and Abdul. Abdul Karim arrives from India to participate in Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee. The young clerk is surprised to find favor with the queen herself. As Victoria questions the constrictions of her long-held position, the two forge an unlikely and devoted alliance that her household and inner circle try to destroy. As their friendship deepens, the queen begins to see a changing world through new eyes, joyfully reclaiming her humanity. No one really knows what it's like to be queen. Mother! Are you spying on me? Everyone I've loved has died and I just go on. What is the point? Service. Your Majesty. We are here for a greater purpose. You are a servant no longer. You will teach me Urdu and the Quran. You've upset the order of everything. Drop this Indian peasant. Or we will have you certified insane. Treason! 
well, guys, we both saw this one. We both saw Victoria and Abdul. I saw it at Tiff Ding, and uh, Rebecca saw it a few days ago mm-hmm. at the very same theater, just a few doors down from where I was watching American Made. Yeah, <laughs> and I chased you down afterwards. She sure did. She was real out of breath. It's a it's a theater they just recently started serving beer in. <laughs> oh, did you have a beer? No, I didn't. But, oh, um, I don't even know. They turned should... it into like a. We're now, speaking of the fancy. Metreon guys. The yeah. Metreon. Anyway. Um, so let's talk about the pros and the cons of uh, Victoria and Abdul. Yes. Pros. Judy Dench is great. She is amazing. She's so good. Um, in a in a in a challenging role. Um, yeah. a challenging role of a, a woman who's, um, you know, nearing the end of her life mm-hmm. and um is has been in the public eye her whole life mm-hmm. and has is really. I mean, it's it's a real, one of the most complex characters right in history. It's a real Mima. And. <laughs> Literally, mm-hmm. Mima to a nation. Yes, um, Mima of India. She calls herself. At she one does point. at one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so a thoroughly complex character, you know, of which a million movies could be made, but yes. a very particular sliver of her life where she's at the end and is yes. very much, uh, as I would say, over it. Which I believe, as we've said before, is the best way to tell any sort of biopic is to just do a sliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the whole cradle of the grave thing. It's no, really, it's a disservice. It's just hard to do right. Like you don't, like, you didn't want that about like you, yeah. right? No, it's just hard to do it right. Really, I mean, like it'd be one thing if it's like, oh, sure, there's a really easy way to do that right, but mm-hmm. there is not. Right. That just, I mean, that reduces what what you think a life is, let alone a life like worth. Right. To tell a whole life story in an hour forty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is yeah the very end of, Victor- of Queen Victoria's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I guess that's a pro. That is a pro. Is a pro that they chose uh, to zero in on on the end of her life. It's a pro. The Judy Dench is one of you know the great all time actors. That she is able to convey such a so much nuance in her life um, of of this woman. Mm-hmm. Con. Well, also I would say so. Um, uh, um, Eddie Izzard is. Oh, Eddie Izzard is amazing. Eddie Izzard is a delight as her son, as her bitch of a son. <laughs> Uh, who is uh, so the a big part of the story is that this friendship that she forges with Abdul is extremely objected to by every single terrified white person uh, in her staff and in her family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and Eddie Izzard comes in around midway through and sort of becomes the embodiment of that resistance. Um, and despite playing a very despicable character, he still has that Eddie Izzard, you know, mm-hmm. sort of hilarity in his eyes. So you're just like. <laughs> you scamp you're yeah, such a racist it makes that character um, more likable yeah. than it should have been yeah absolutely and by character I mean would that, that be King Edward the Oh, right, because he, he takes over after. It's mm-hmm. one of those. Yes. Um, and the actor who plays Abdul is is a real charmer. Yeah, he's a real, I mean, you, you see why she falls for him. Mm-hmm. He's really, he's, uh, he's got uh, the he's brightness gorgeous. and the, uh, he's gorgeous. the uh, he's sweet. potential he's... of the world mm-hmm. in his innocent eyes. Yes. Because, uh, so, you know, so innocent, so. childlike, you childlike. would say. So innocent that he does not question anything about the circumstances under which he is forced to leave his homeland go to England uh, to present a meaningless token to the queen who is uh, the empress of his homeland mm-hmm. because colonialism and uh, and then is forced to remain in England because the queen takes a liking to him because she thinks he's cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> which... is such a... it's really that's really what it is. Yeah. And, you know, and to be in, you know, disclaimer here, this is a true story. Mm-hmm. This is recently. This is based mostly, on. I think they say it's like mostly true. So yeah. Some... Yeah. Same as American Made, 
And, uh, and and apparently this is a story that went untold for a very long time because the um, you know her surviving family very much wanted to make this like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like within the last like fifteen years, or yeah, yeah. That's that actually one, probably one of the most interesting things wild. about this too. I feel like the, the like it's almost like there's a documentary that needs to be yeah. made, even though I don't know how. You oh do yeah, that. exactly. Because there's probably no pictures of it or anything, right? Or maybe I think maybe that's what makes this movie even worse because it, mm. it is such an interesting story, and if it wasn't done under this like Disney-like romantic comedy mm. style, and if it was mm-hmm. you know treated with a little bit more respect, then it would have been a, a, a really fascinating story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it almost makes it worse. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. You know, so what had happened was around 2010, um, this man's diaries were discovered. And that is what kickstarted the what led to the making of this film, Mm -hmm. which is directed by Stephen Frears, who is, you know, is is by and large a great director. Most recently, he made Philomena with Judi Dench, which Mm -hmm. I loved. Uh, You know, this is this is not quite as much of a home run. And, you know, a big part of it is that it just kind of it just is, it's a problematic story. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard to say that about history because it's like, okay, well, that's history. That's what happened. And, you know, we can't ignore history. But the tone that it takes. For example, also one thing that was strange about this movie is how it wastes no time in the story. Like, from the moment it starts, like the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. um, is like, uh, he, uh, Abdul's in India and he uh, works in this uh, rug shop where rugs are made by prisoners and he's picked to go to England to do this thing. And like, just like right off the bat, it's, it's you, get up, go, yes. get in there. You know, you're going here, now you're mm-hmm. going there. There's like no like yeah. getting to know who he is or, or yeah. anything. It just moves right into, into the, which I, I was like, okay, well, if it's not going to be that good, we might as well just like get it over with. Let's just like plow through the story. <laughs> but at the beginning, they make this joke that they repeat three times about how you know, they have these two guys that are coming to present this uh, coin to her, you know, for the Jubilee. And they, they were supposed to pick the two tallest guys and they picked another guy who's short. And they're like, you know, why do they pick the short guy? Um, and they keep making this joke over and over that the other guy like fell off an elephant, mm. which was just very, you know, it was clearly said in, in a humorous way. That's like, oh, you know, wild India where people like, right. It was very disrespectful. Mm. Um, and I feel like that that really set the tone for how you're how you're looking at, at this culture versus. Right. Um, and I have no idea if that's a detail from the diary or not, but I mean, even the, if it was, you can definitely not for, say it as a joke. Yeah, no, it's definitely played as like a, it's like a very British humor thing. Like, right, well, where's the other one? Well, he fought for an elephant. Oh dear, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So it, yeah, it's played for yeah that dry British humor, which is yeah, no, it definitely feels like a jokey thing. And and it's and the and the butt of the joke seems it'd be one thing if the butt of the joke was the Brits and their racism, mm-hmm. but the butt of that joke seems to be like oh this this silly Indian gentleman who fell off an elephant because right, like, isn't that wild? Right, elephants. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, so that's not great. And the film does, at the very least, it does give voice to the resistance, if you will, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. through the character of the other man who is who is forced to leave India indefinitely and go to England in this insane climate that they have no way of being prepared to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, Abdul's uh, friend and comrade, and uh, he is is very much resisting mm-hmm. uh, what is being forced upon him. And, uh, and, and it's, it, it leads to a very strange sort of juxtaposition, a strange sort of dissonance between their two stories that the film mm-hmm. doesn't really attempt to reconcile. Yeah. So he, you know, pretty much the whole time he thinks he's doing this thing and going home. He doesn't think it's that great. He wants to be home. And, you know, at every opportunity he can, he, can, he says something about how, you know, this isn't like, this isn't a vacation. This isn't fun. Like, these are our oppressors. 
he's very much aware of that and mm-hmm. he tries to say it to abdul but abdul you know again has this like childlike yeah and he's just you know in, he's enchanted like, I think she's a very fine woman um by you know what is that i think we have a name for this it's uh it's like a, a stockholm Nordic. syndrome yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um right it feels very stockholmy uh that he identifies with his oppressor mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's you know it's an, it's a weird relationship because she kind of i mean she very much uh um what's the word we're looking for here you know she's she's sort of she humors him but also i mean it's it comes from she exoticizes him oh like yeah she's, she like fetishizes yeah she's like, she fetishizes his otherness and is like oh teach me urdu mm-hmm. uh you know she's like i'm she's like te- yeah she's you know, yeah, you know, well, we, you know, we, people get to a certain age and they someone they want to learn shit again. <laughs> she she's at that age. Yeah, and, yeah this um, is now she'd be like, you know, I'm I'm going to go study yoga and right, or she's like, time. oh, I'm 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 doing you know Rosetta Stone. Uh, <laughs> so, but instead, she doesn't have she doesn't have Rosetta Stone. She has a very handsome Indian gentleman, and mm-hmm. so she uses him as her own personal Rosetta Stone. And um, and wants to learn about. She basically like you know long before you know the Beatles and the Rolling Stones uh, started playing with sitars. Uh, <laughs> Queen Victoria um, fetishized, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fetishized India and the Southeast Asia. It's so and, funny uh, that like there's this point where she he's explained to her Indian food, and it's like, oh yeah, there was a time where Indi- where like London wasn't just full of Indian exactly, food. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. the best Indian food in the world. It's a different time. It's um, a different time. Uh, it, and I'm also not- is that thing where when you start liking someone, and then all of a sudden everything you do is like, oh, <laughs> all the stuff. Well, that you they know, have. Abdul told me. <laughs> Well, you know what Abdul says about that? Yeah, she's... Oh, yeah, no, I've always loved Indian music. Exactly. No, the thirst is real with Queen Victoria. And, uh, I mean, another positive I'll give it is it is a positive representation of uh, of Muslim people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because Abdul is Muslim, and uh, he's not Hindu. And uh, and he has, uh, he you know, his, his wife and his, his mother, his mother-in-law. Mother-in-law. His wife and his mother-in-law are brought eventually to stay with him. And, um, you know, and they're both wearing, uh, you know, full body cover black burqas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it's something where, you know, we, we are watching the members of the Queen's household have to be challenged with this site and figure mm-hmm. out how to reconcile that with their own notions of like how things are, or how things should be. And, uh, you know, and I think that it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a site that even for you know, sort of the most progressive of like American liberals can still be a bit jarring. Sure. Let alone seeing it for the first time. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, so I think that, you know, it does a good job of humanizing and normalizing mm-hmm. uh, a Muslim family. And it also, you know, very clearly paints the the group of the house that is, you know, you know, racist and judgmental as the bad guys, you know, mm-hmm. versus like how fantastic that Victoria is being, being so open-minded and, and like welcoming and understanding. Right. Um, I mean, that said, like, I, I feel like I, I pick on everything and like, that's the best way you could have gone about it. But mm. it's also very obvious, right? Yes. It's not, it's a very obvious movie. It's not mm-hmm. subtle at all. And, and yeah. there's, you know, really no kind of back and forth or, or growth in that way. Yeah. And this is a movie you can take grandma to after Sunday yes. lunch. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and there won't be a blip of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's so it's it's you know it's 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 very mannered, it's very stately. I think uh, it's a BBC movie. Uh, it was like yeah, I mean, purchased I think, by Amazon, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the BBC uh, you know helped produce it or was a part of the mm-hmm. the producing team behind it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting piece of history. I think it would have been more interesting if it had gone into um, if Queen Victoria, through knowing Abdul, had gone down the path of feeling regrets about mm. about 
about, you know, taking India, you know, yeah. about, you know, like, and, and that never, it never quite gets to that macro level. It never becomes like, it's only about Abdul. It's not about India. There's a bit, there's a tiny bit where she, like, it's a, it's made aware that she doesn't realize that like British soldiers like destroyed things in mm-hmm. India and it's kind of brought to her attention by him, which was interesting. Right. But then that gets turned around. It does. It does get turned around. Um, this movie does have one of my uh, celebrity crushes in it that I haven't seen in a long time. Holly Walker? Um, no. Um, Ooh. Olivia Williams from Rushmore. I think that's Polly Walker. Polly Walker? No, it's Olivia Williams. Did you check? Yes. Okay. Um, she's from, from Rushmore. I know who she is. The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's a celebrity crush. She is a fine actress. Uh, mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of Olivia Williams. Right? Makes you want to watch Rushmore again. Oh, I mean, you know, between that and, I mean, like, she's she was in so many things that she was so good in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, The Sixth Sense, and, like, I'm looking her up now, and <laughs> Education. Oh, right. Oh, right. That's the oh, one with yeah. the... Oh, she's Lady Churchill. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, isn't Polly Walker in it as well? I thought I that I, let's just have a quick look. So, um, Ali Fazal is the name of the actor who plays Abdul. We have not been saying his name. Uh, Michael Gambon is in it. Julian. Watch w- us read the internet. Julian Wadham, Simon Callow. Huh. Yeah, no, the person who I was convinced was Polly Walker was actually Olivia Williams. Mm-hmm. I take it back. Uh,. I miss Polly Walker, <laughs> but uh, no, Olivia <laughs> Williams was uh, was was fine as well as one of like the scowling racists prowling about in the household, glaring at Abdul, mm-hmm. um, and 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 wishing for him to please leave so they can go back to normal and go back to just like just running out the clock, <laughs> basically yeah. on their queen. It's a really it's um it's just so interesting how you see people feel so threatened when really nothing changes for them. Mm-hmm. There's not that they're losing anything. Yeah. Um, but that they have to share a space with something that they think is so wrong and, and just like the yeah. the intense reaction to that. Yeah. Um, just uh, yeah. it feels terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's it's and it's a tough, it's a weird story because I feel like if it happened today, like if let's say if like if our president suddenly like made super good friends with like an Indian and then did a whole room in the White House up in, you know, of an Indian style the way that it happens in mm-hmm. this film. You know, I feel like the general sense would be like, oh, cool. So now he's like appropriating Indian mm, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that there, there's a it's there's a line the movie doesn't really address, it, you know, the line between learning about a culture and also taking. I think what she does not do is also take on their struggle. I think that's probably yeah. where it where it does not go beyond appropriation and fascination, mm-hmm. uh, because she is not you know she continues to be the oppressor even though she's obviously she's in her final days. There's not a whole lot right. that she could have been expected to do at that ripe old age, but you know she doesn't really take on their struggle and their suffering. She comes to understand a bit more, mm-hmm. um, but not much more than like a sort of a touristy kind of like exotic tourist kind of way. Um, and then we do see at the end where he goes back to India Oof. and um, continues to. There's a real tough shot at the end. It really is. You know, there's this uh, statue of her that he goes and like hangs out with. In every front of day. the Taj Mahal. Right. It, like in, he, in the way that the camera angle is. He it, like, kisses it, the feet. It like, tr- it, like trumps the Taj Mahal. And, right. And it's such, so the forget about like that. that. Look at this Queen Victoria statue. And oh, there's Abdul kissing its toes. So that makes it pretty sad that he's like, you know, yeah, sort of left with he's this. He's fucked up for life mm-hmm. from that, you know, that Queen Victoria uh, fling <laughs> you know that he I mean? had. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just not a, I, I don't know that it's a story that 
needed to be told in this way. Now, in I think this it, way. I think it needed to be told, but it needed to be told seriously, and mm, not in this like yes yeah, Sunday afternoon. Sometimes tongue in cheek. Seriously with grandma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it needed to be told in a serious way. Yeah. Um, and I hopefully, you know, it still can be at some yeah. point. And with that said, like, it does play really, it goes down super smooth and easy as, and fast, as, as, as a lighthearted, you know, sort of like historical rom-com. Um, <laughs> but it seems a little inappropriate given the subject matter. Right. Uh, what are you giving it? Consume moderation. Yeah, it's getting somewhere like a consume minus. Mm-hmm. It's, there's definitely a time and a place for it, um, as we've mentioned a few times. Yeah. But any other time, I can't imagine this yeah. would be uh, something you'd want to watch. Yeah. Uh, it's rated PG-13 for some thematic elements and language. And that brings us to our last movie, which is Unrest, our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. When Harvard PhD student Jennifer Brea is struck down at 28 by a fever that leaves her bedridden, doctors tell her it's all in her head. Determined to live, she turns her camera on herself and her community, a hidden world of millions confined to their homes and bedrooms by M.E., commonly called chronic fatigue syndrome. From as early as I can remember, I wanted to swallow the world whole. Anything was possible. I just thought I would have more time. I don't know what I did to myself. I don't think I can get up off the couch. I feel like my brain is misfiring. Sometimes I wouldn't be able to speak. If you say too little, they can't help you. And if you say too much, they think you're a mental patient. The doctor would tell me, you're just dehydrated. (sighs) Everyone gets stressed. So um, I did not know this was going to be a documentary. The um, mm. sort of like the trailer, uh, the thumbnail for it looks like a um, like a yeah like a thriller. A, yeah, it really does. It looks like a Coma, that like mm-hmm. uh, Michael Crichton movie, um, Michael Douglas movie from the eighties. It's not. It is, um, not. it is a documentary. It is um, about a woman with chronic fatigue syndrome. Yes. Um, it is very hard to watch. Yes, it, it is heartbreaking. It is. It is also uncomfortable in that I realized some things about myself that I was not very proud of. Hmm. Um, that maybe I, maybe there was a part of me that didn't believe that this was a real thing. Um, did you bully someone with Emmy and Catholic? No, school? I did not bully anybody with 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 Emmy. Well, I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't know what they had. Oh God. Oh God. Oh, here we go. Oh no. Um, but. Not about me, um, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's um, you know, it's one of those things where when you don't have something and you can sit somewhere and judge whether or not you think it's a thing, yeah, you do, and that's yeah. terrible. And um, I mean, I wouldn't say I was like actively saying like that's no, nonsense, you, but you, you weren't a truther, uh, right? Uh, on there's the a part of me of... that was like, well, I don't know. I mean, well, who the like? Why, why think, no one has to prove anything to me. I think it's nor. I mean, I think it's like even you know, like I never really, you know. Okay, so I was aware of chronic fatigue syndrome for a reason that I was very upset this film did not address the Golden Girls episode. Yes, <laughs> that was a great episode. That was a tremendous episode of like ageism and oh, the sexism. Chronic, sexism and the chronic fatigue. That was such. Yeah. A good, do you oh. know that one of the writers from the Golden Girls had chronic fatigue and she wrote that, that episode makes sense. because she did like. Uh, documentary experience you know and even though now having seen unrest the depiction of how dorothy spornak experienced emmy was mm-hmm. was fairly mild right 
but her, you know, the journey that we follow her on for that, like, 22 minutes of feeling like she's crazy and all these doctors are gaslighting her and telling her she's nuts, she's out of her head. And then finally finding the right doctor who tells her that she has chronic fatigue syndrome and her relief at the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then when she sees the doctor who told her she was crazy in a restaurant and tells oh, them off. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I mean, B. Arthur played the whole, that whole mo- the emotional arc we see in this movie. She really encapsulated very, very masterfully in that mm-hmm. episode. Um, so I was a very annoyed that the film did not address that. And I can only assume it's because... Like these a are, rights issue? These, these are academics. Oh, yeah, that's true. So the... so the, the But it is interesting. Like, I, I think that a big part of this movie, you know, it exists for this reason where, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a huge stigma where people think it just isn't real. Yeah. And that both is, you know, uh, a terrible way to live where, mm-hmm. you know, you feel like people don't believe you. It also has, manifests in, you know, actual detriments where they don't fund research for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure I don't even know how insurance handles it like if you you, yeah. know, it, you have uh, a disability for work does that mm-hmm. handle it I have no idea yeah. but you know so the the one thing you try to do and a lot of these people do is find a community and like mm-hmm. find a voice so much of this is like getting the voice out and getting the story out because these people feel like they're forgotten yeah they just stop existing they right. disappear yeah they stop existing and, and that's you know which you know part of why you would think that they would the want to show Girls. the episode because yeah. it's visibility that, that's why I can only assume that just because, okay, so Jennifer Brea and her husband, whose name is Omar, uh, very handsome, very smart couple. Uh, both, they met at, while they were doing their PhDs at Harvard, I think, or mm-hmm. was it Princeton? Yeah, Harvard. Harvard. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Maybe they undergraded Princeton. Yeah, and then PhDs at Harvard. So they are smarties. And uh, and they seem like a real like we don't own a TV household, so I <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if it was news to them that such an episode of the Golden Girls existed. Um, but uh, so you know, so that was and I, but even having seen that episode of the Golden Girls many times and watching this movie, you know, there were moments where some awful voice in my brain was still like doubting some of the people they would show. I'd be like, oh, come on, just fucking you know, you just want to shake them and just be like, get out, you know, fucking snap out of it. Um, but that's, you know, like, but then, but you just watch the cumulative depictions in this film and it's just, what is this weird voice? It's just, it must just be like that thing of being like, oh, well, I don't understand this. And so I'm going to reject it. Yeah. I mean, if people um, do that or I've with never like experienced this. So I'm going to reject homosexuality it. Homosexuality or mm-hmm. bisexuality and, um, uh, depression. And also just seeing weakness in people, you know, there's that weird, mm. like, you know, Darwinian thing that kicks in when you see like weakness. You're like, she looks delicious. <laughs> right. Exactly. Eat her. <laughs> um, you know, so and I had a lot of those feelings watching this film, but so hungry. Yes. Uh, so with that all said, Jennifer Brea does such a thorough, tremendous job chronicling a number of years in her life from when she was still relatively well um, on through sort of, you know, the onset of, of this, of the worst of this, at least up to the point that they have filmed it. Yeah, I can't believe she was able to make this movie. It's remarkable. And they had, you know, someone else, they had like a co-director who was there mm. helping them out, helping shoot her and Omar whenever one of them was not doing the, the, the photography. And it looks tremendous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful. It's a very cinematic, very gorgeously filmed for a movie that so much of which is just conversations of Jennifer conducting with people over Skype. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it looks tremendous. Uh, uh- one of the things I love about this is that it, you know, it starts off at least, um, I would say maybe the first third is pretty much about her, her background, her experience, her figuring it out. And 
and while that is, you know, she's uh, has a, a wonderful way of articulating this particular prison that she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I for a moment, I was like, okay, this is going to be like a long story about kind of a, one couple. Mm-hmm. But then she really seamlessly, it's almost like you watch her like to have this Skype conversation, then you end up on the other side of the computer. In drawn into the story of these people that she has uh, that she's connecting with in, in this community, yeah. people from all over the world that are having similar but different experiences and mm-hmm. it's affected their lives in different ways. Their relationships it's a huge part about relationships in this movie that you know is is incredibly sad. Yes, um, but it really you know and it gives you a whole different you know uh, person's storyline and then it weaves mm-hmm. right back into her and then weaves into somebody else in a way that like. I didn't even realize it was happening. Yeah. It was very, very artful. It was. And, you know, and then she keeps pulling back, you know, just moving the focus uh, from, yeah, from herself to other stories, to a historical perspective, to a Mm -hmm. feminist perspective, Mm -hmm. to uh, sort of a modern internet era, cure yourself perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, it, it really is... It manages to cover a lot of ground without without ever feeling like it's like this 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 laborious uh, study lesson. No, uh, it doesn't know. feel like a documentary. No, either. yeah, they talk about you know the risks. Um, so many people um, commit suicide that mm-hmm. have this because you know for for numerous reasons, and then it goes into like you know the activism angle mm-hmm. um, in a way that like. It, it could be like a Netflix special about chronic fatigue and they like, you know, someone like narrates it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it covers all of those, like, as you mentioned, but in a way that you don't even realize that that you're being sort of like educated. Right, you're right, exactly. You're being that you're being educated. And I think a big part of that is that like Jennifer herself is just she's a really I don't know. She's a great screen presence because she just has this very open face. Mm. And you spend so much of the movie looking at this, like the, her at the, at her open face, and just her openness and her curiosity mm-hmm. um, are are infectious. Mm-hmm. And so I think watching her, um, you know, she also has a very reassuring kind of presence, even mm-hmm. when she's going through such pain. So I think that that's a big part of that is her. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, she's just really easy to watch uh, in that sense, it, even though we watch her go through unimaginable torment. Yeah, it really is very difficult to watch. I mean, uh, yeah. It's you know it's it and seems not like in a gory your... way, not in a gory way, just in a, emotionally, it's difficult to watch. Yeah, I mean, it seems as though um, she's experiencing this feeling of like her body breaking down, mm-hmm. um, and all of the the anguish and, yeah. and and pain that goes with that, and then you know having to watch her husband, mm-hmm. um, who is completely powerless, yeah. um, and you know has to adjust his life. Yeah, and you know it seems like he's you know very thoroughly understanding, but also he's human. Um, you can't imagine the struggle that it is for him. And, you know, because it is so intense, it really, if you had any lingering questions for no good reason, it really, it, it snaps you out of that very quickly. How fucking dare you? And we find out very late in the movie that her husband is somebody. Yeah, he is. That he apparently taught Oprah how to email. Yeah, he's uh, uh, Omar Waso, W-A-S-O-W. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. He, I was just looking him up. Apparently he's, he's originally Kenyan. And uh, and he is yeah he's just a sort of like great internet uh, activist I believe <laughs> person uh, and great uh, internet person great internet person <laughs> and uh, you know and it really is like when we watch them in the beginning of the film there's footage of them when they get married mm-hmm. and they're on honeymoon and and they're just it's just one of those things where you're like these two people are each other's person and mm-hmm. what a great match they are for each other and she's the type who she was an adventurer 
Yeah. And, you know, so it made me feel guilty as somebody who Doesn't does do not anything. suffer from oh. Emmy and uh, and who, you know, uses his like, you know, his fairly able body to like, you know, watch TV mm. and movies. Uh, but, you know, like it's just, yeah, it's 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 really tough. And, you know, I have, you know, one of my best friends since always is is uh, is is very severely afflicted with MS and she's mm. my age. And uh, and this movie says that twice as many people are, are afflicted with ME as they are mm. with MS. Um, and, uh, you know, and despite that, MS is, there's no question about it. There's no judgment mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this movie really makes you rethink a lot of things about history, even when we keep talking about Girl Interrupted recently. But a big part of, you know, what Girl Interrupted was about, what Susanna Kaysen's memoir was about, was this very idea of women being hospitalized mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. medical science was not interested in really being able to understand and diagnose and treat them. So they were just called, okay, well, you have hysteria. And we're going to put you in the hospital. And, you know, this movie draw connects the dots that mm-hmm. a lot of hysteria cases were ME. Right. There's no there's no uh, rush to cure uh, diseases that are um, primarily women. Right. Exactly. Of. And that, yeah, that women disproportionately are suffering from ME. And also, that makes doctors less interested in really solving it. They don't say in, in say so in this movie. But, I, you know, you sort of wonder if this is a this is a disease that, that affects so many people. But there's nothing you can sell to fix it. Like there's no interest in solving it, right? It's mm-hmm. like if there's not like a huge a buck to be made in the in the treatment or the medication for it. Um, I wonder if that's you know part of the reason that it doesn't get a lot of um, funding. Yeah, no, but yeah, I mean you know like it's what, to, you know take a moment and you know just think everyone around you is going through something um, that you yeah. may or may not know that they may or may not know. Right, and especially with this, you know, like the people who go through it really feel like they have disappeared Mm -hmm. that is such a big recurring uh, motif in the film and a common thing that all the different people who suffer from it say because unlike say you know like even you know if you're suffering from you know ms or 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 you know uh, other diseases or symptoms or syndromes uh it does not have the effect that this has of just making you bedridden for literally months or years at a time Mm -hmm. where you just vanish from the world. And there's like a community of support, right? Like you get Mm -hmm. diagnosed with cancer and your friends and your coworkers go on a race or Mm -hmm. they cut their hair. There's like a huge thing that you can kind of feel like. um, But with this, you get, you get suspicion, you get judgment, you get like alienation, you get like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's real. Are they just crazy? Um, but you know, watching the stories you see in this movie, uh, it is, yeah. I mean, like, even though you might have some weird, like me, uh, have some like weird old sort of like Salem, like witch trial, like, you know, like watcher, uh, kind of <laughs> mentality, like burn. No, what is that? No, that's hysteria. That's they're infecting each other. Isn't yesterday you were, or last week you were talking about killing the pretty lady. Yeah, exactly. You uh, know, you know, I, I'm really just trying to acknowledge these instincts <laughs> so that I can let them go. Name them and let them go. Exactly. Um, this is getting a hard binge it, a yes. hard, um, like if you have any questioning doubts mm-hmm. uh any lingering and, doubts about your thoughts on this see yeah. it um it it's you need to know and you know in the, the way we've described it, it might make it sound like it's going to be like a take your medicine type movie no it's not but it's not it's no. so gripping it's such it's a mystery it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a mystery. Part of me was like, oh, is this going to be about, like, does this treatment work? Does something right. happen? I was like, I yeah. would have known if something would have come out. But, like, it's a mystery that is filled with such humanity and such compassion. Like, compassion is the bedrock of this movie. Compassion is this movie's rallying cry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And it, it, again, like, you know, like, like we said, it, it, you know, this is something that people don't like ambiguity. 
and mm-hmm. you know people like a clear enemy mm-hmm. and um this doesn't have that which makes no. it uninteresting to a lot of people nor um, does it have uh, a solution right uh, but it is a, it's a film that is meant to raise awareness but it does so in a way that is is just absolutely engrossing and enlightening to experience mm-hmm. and, uh, and and cinematic to boot unrest is unrated uh, but probably pg-13 for language um and thematic comp uh, thematic content and brief nudity yes that's it that's it thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the binge be sure to subscribe on itunes if you have a an apple iphone user um or on android you can find us on stitcher or the soundcloud app uh jason is on twitter at excess baggage at fight balance thank you so much bye guys bye-bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there, there goes, goes the, the binge, binge.